Check, 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 okay. Awesome, well, I hope the kiddos make some cool things for the teachers. It's been something we've been talking about doing for a while, that it would be fun to bless our teachers here. I just realized I left my water back there. Jenny, can you? Yeah. I think it's all right. Yeah, it's okay. Um, sure, I'll take a refill. Thank you. So welcome, y'all. If you don't know me, I'm Leah. I'm a pastor here at Haven Berkeley Faith Community. I'm super glad you're with us today. Hi on YouTube, hopefully it's working. We had some technical difficulties getting that going, but I guess we're up and live, so okay, awesome. Um, so we're gonna start this part of the morning. I wanna uh, invite you into, start with a moment of reflection, and then we're gonna have a little brief conversation. Um, so I'm gonna invite you to take a beat and think about a rewarding relationship in your life. It can be a long-term or a short-term relationship. It could be something ongoing. It could be something from the past, childhood friendship, college mentor, family member. I'm just inviting you to think of some relationship that has felt positive, rewarding, enriched your life in a meaningful way. It doesn't have to be the best like where it's no ranking it's just what something that comes to mind um what was it about that person here's what i'm asking you to think about and the way you related to them that made the relationship feel special and what lasting impact has that person had on your life if any and what lasting impact maybe have you had on theirs so we're going to take a moment to think about it see if something comes to mind some relationship you might um, be connected to, as I say that. And then I invite you to break into groups. And I'm going to say this, and we're going to come back to these groups later for our conversation later. But I'm going to say today we're going to keep it kind of small so that we have time to really um, hear each other. And so I'm saying three or less, ideally. So ideally, groups of three would be great. If we need a pair here or there, that could work too. So we're going to try to find a couple other people around us. Um, break into groups of three and share for two minutes each. So that gives us about six minutes on uh, what this relationship was, what made it special, what impacts do you think you've had on each other. So if somebody could be like a timekeeper and try to just connect with, all right, nobody's more going more than two minutes. You don't have to fill the whole two minutes if you don't have that much to say. But yes, just sharing a little bit about this relationship, what made it special, what the long-term impact might have been, okay? So, release. <clears throat> so while they're finishing, what do, you, what do we think? Does anyone feel like in your little threesome you noticed any uh, commonalities? What, what made the relationship unique or stand out or memorable? Yeah, go ahead. Finish. Uh -huh. So he was saying, John was saying, um, oh no, my water. Shoot. Um, 
everyone mentioned somebody that helped them grow. Is that right? Makes sense. Thank you, Josh. Um, other other common themes. Yeah, Brent. Things that were appreciated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Makes sense. Hey, Leonard, welcome. Good to see you. Come on in. Other thoughts, things that uh, came up. Any anyone? Any other common themes? Oh, sorry. <laughs> like a full glass. <sighs> yes, yeah, Scott. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying that everyone was in that place of like feeling like a lot going on in life and, and so couldn't give the attention that you'd like to, to certain relationships. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Okay. Very interesting observation. Um, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's probably, we probably can all resonate with multiple pieces here and certainly, um, I think that last comment is a good kickoff for, for um, kind of why we're having this conversation. So um, <laughs> this is the second of three messages that I'm sharing. If you don't know, I have recently had um, the gift of being able to take a three-month sabbatical this summer. And so this is my second teaching kind of coming back and sharing some of the learning, um, some of what my experience was a bit. Um, and it's <laughs> on the theme of I've been framing these in what I'm calling liberating return. Um, the folks who were here this summer spent the summer talking about liberating spirituality. And my own kind of angle on that is this idea of liberating return, returning to certain things. Um, and as I shared in the last teaching, um, I was processing with the woman who's been um, my spiritual director and was kind of a, an important uh, touch point for me during the sabbatical and, and continues to be. And I was considering, you know, coming back to the work of Haven. And we were talking about this idea of return. And I was thinking of that in the context of return to work. But, you know, she helped me discover how return in many ways had been the theme of my whole sabbatical. Um, and so as I have returned here, I'm still trying to retain the returns from that sabbatical season and keep living into them and invite all of us to consider if there might be some sort of liberative journey for each of us in making our own returns to these areas in some ways in our lives. So I will not put it on the floor. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfect. Um, okay. So, um, so the first of the three we considered last time was the return to self, honoring, making space for, and honoring our own needs and the deeper parts of ourselves that I think often also leads to encounter with the one who made us, with our source, with God. Um, but returning to self was not the only important return that was a part of my sabbatical journey. The second return that I noticed and named with my spiritual director that day in late July was one that we've been touching on in our conversations. It was the return to relationships. And specifically for me, 
in this moment, in that sabbatical experience, it was the relationships in my marriage and family. Now, if the return to self I named was essentially like a turning inward to the core of myself, I would say that that return to relationships was also kind of an inward return, a process of going inward to the core of my social world. If my deepest self is the core of me, then in my case, in this, situ in this part of my life, my family, my husband, my three kids, they're the core of my relational life. Now, um, to be clear, I don't think you have to be married or partnered or have kids to have a set of relationships that, that we attend to, potentially more mindfully than others. Um, a while back, I, started, I shared a teaching, probably about a year ago, looking at, we were talking about friendship, and I was sharing a teaching on the various concentric circles of relationships that most humans have. And this was based on the work of Robin Dunbar, who is a British anthropologist, an evolutionary biologist, and he's well known amongst academics in the social sciences for his research around what's come to be known as Dunbar's number. And Dunbar names that human beings are really capable of sustaining at any given time about 150 meaningful relationships. Um, and those come like in concentric circles. They're not all the same, right? So you have like 150 that are on the outer edge. Like if you got married, you might invite these people, right? But then you have like a third of that, like 50 of those people you're kind of like more in regular contact with. And then it goes inward and inward and inward from there, right? And so social research from folks like Dunbar would tell us that all of us, if we're gonna be healthy, connected human beings, we need at least a couple of those kind of core relationships, those folks that are in the inner circle with us, right? That, um, that we can be most vulnerable with, most real, trust that we're gonna be held and loved. The folks with whom your own life's gonna be most transformed, should something happen in that relationship or to that person. And for me, these are the members um, of my immediate family in this season. For you, it could be somebody else. So when I'm talking about a return to relationships, I'm talking about a return to tending those inner circles. And I also just wanna name that all, a number of us have experienced potentially like trauma in some of those inner circles. We may have had relationships that fractured. And so perhaps returning to the circles, tending the circles actually means rebuilding um, the inner circles, finding those safe people. So I wanna name that too. Now, what's interesting about returning to our family or other close people is that in some ways, like before the sabbatical, I would say it was hard for me to identify there was even a need to return. It wasn't clear to me I had actually left. I live with these people. Uh, I see them day in, day out. I generally work from home. So even when I'm working, they're often around, especially during the months of the pandemic, the shutdowns like the, the darkest of the shutdowns. These were the only people that like we saw in person. And frankly, it drove us all a little crazy. But when I came to discover having um, a season in which I was no longer juggling work life and family life, was that actually connecting with Jason, my husband and the kids was different. And it's, it kind of goes to what Scott was naming because my attention was different. My tension wasn't divided. I was reminded that tending these relationships requires more than physical proximity. It requires real intentionality. 
Now, as I've been considering this return to relationships, I've been thinking about a story from the life of Jesus. It's a familiar one. Many of you have likely heard it, perhaps many times. But thinking about it in this context, it resonated for me in a bit of a different way as I've been reflecting on some of this sabbatical experience and recognizing this way I felt recalled to return to focusing my time and energy on some of the closest people in my life a bit differently. So I'm going to read this story from Luke 10. Um, starts with verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, like I said, many of us have probably heard this passage if we've been in, you know, church-type communities for a while. Um, we've probably heard a lot of different interpretations. Often they highlight certain aspects, perhaps, of the personality difference between the sisters. Or, or we might take a look at the gender roles. Martha's maybe conforming in some way to expectations for women in her time. Perhaps Mary is, um, in some ways, defying some gender norms. I think there's a number of interesting things you can consider about this story. But today, I find myself in this place um, wondering if at least part of the the correction that Jesus is speaking to Martha might not be so much about the actions Mary is or isn't taking and how they compare to Martha's actions, but perhaps it's more about where Mary's attention is focused and the impact that that attentiveness has. Now, it's helpful when we think about this story in, the way, um, in this way to consider some of the broader context. So this is like one of several stories in, in the New Testament in which we find Jesus speaking, spending meaningful time in this home with this family. This household, from what we can tell, is made up of two sisters and a brother, Mary and Martha and a brother Lazarus. Likely, they're all kind of young, um, since they seem to all share a household together and are all unmarried, um, which is kind of rare in that, in that era. Um, and so they, um, which is, but is also true of Jesus himself. So we have these three single siblings that live together, and the three of them live in Bethany, this town on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And Jesus seems to stop there regularly when he's in the Jerusalem area. And this group of people seems to be some of the folks in Jesus's inner circle, one of his inner circles. They're part of the hub of his relational life. We don't know exactly where this story fits like in their arc of their relationship, but we do sense that these are folks that are significant to Jesus. So Jesus is in town. He's spending the evening at this house in Bethany as he does when he's in the area. And Martha is the head of the household. And her focus is being a good hostess. And like folks, you all know, it takes work to host things, right? Anyone who's hosted a dinner party 
gets this. All of us who, like Scott was naming before, we are a part of putting this thing on, right? This takes a lot of volunteers. It takes a lot of hosts. It takes a lot of activities, right? So I totally get where Martha is coming from. There is stuff to do. And I think ultimately Jesus does too. I don't think he's critiquing her for getting a meal on the table. The guy needs to eat. But I wonder if part of what he is naming has more to do with where Martha's attention is focused. Luke describes her as distracted. <coughs> Jesus points out she is worried and upset. I don't think he's chastising her for having that response, but he does seem to be like noticing it, reflecting it back to her. I see that you are, I see that you are just, you are pretty upset about a lot of things. Martha is intensely focused on the logistics of the evening, seems to be resenting the fact that her sister doesn't share the same preoccupation. But in focusing primarily on the logistics, she seems to be missing the more beautiful, life-nurturing component of the evening, being present and attentive to the person in the room, right? I wonder if Jesus is more interested in connecting relationally with his friends that night, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, hearing what's on their hearts, sharing the challenges of his own recent travels, laughing together, being moved by each other. If he's more interested in that than what's on the menu. Yes, of course they need something to eat, but he doesn't want the labor of that task to get in the way of the deeper need they each have for love and connection for knowing others and being known. Maybe that is what he means when he says, only one thing is really needed, being present right now to the people in the room. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like it's with the people I have the most proximity, the people who I live with, or spend the most physical time doing the stuff of life with, that I can be the least attentive to what's actually going on with them. It's with my husband or my kids or my closest friends sometimes that I can get most easily distracted and be the least focused on attending to the health and robustness of our relational connection. And that brings me to what I found myself discovering during the sabbatical about my own attention to the people in these inner circles of my life. As you may know, my personality type is one that favors things like multitasking. I've always been able to and often prefer doing multiple things at once. So I listen to audiobooks while I clean my kitchen. I browse the internet for home ideas while I watch TV. Um, it's just like, why not do as many things as possible is kind of often how I operate. And in many ways, that has served me particularly in the era of like life trying to live into this like vocation as a pastor, as a church starter, and also a young mother. So I remember nursing my babies in the middle of church staff meetings when I was in Iowa City, or when I was in the midst of like a seminary class. And then eight years ago, we moved here and we begun the project of church entrepreneurship. And in that season that I was just starting this Haven project, I was also the primary caregiver of the three kids. And that, that meant that I was doing multiple things at once with a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and an eight-year-old in tow. 
So pastoral care meetings in those early years often took part, place at parks or like children's fairyland or in my backyard while kids were jumping on the trampoline <laughs> and times of praying for people, dreaming together about what this thing might be that we were trying to build were regularly interrupted by requests for fruit snacks and trips to the potty. And in many ways, that flow of life worked. Like it worked. It enabled Haven to be able to be born in that midst of that kind of busy family life. But the problem is that as my kids and the community grew, my own habits of work never changed. And so I continued to just like answer emails while at doctor's appointments with my kids or shopping. Uh, I replied to texts to any and all hours of the day, didn't think twice about it. And the truth is, though there were benefits to my multitasking way of life, there were also costs that I did not appreciate. I think the pandemic years highlighted those costs more than any other as the like blurred lines between Haven and family time became even more obscured. And I'm sure each of you has your own version of that, right? Our relationships suffered under the stress of the pandemic. And while certainly there are factors that have nothing to do with me in that context, I see now that my divided attention also contributed to the strain. It wasn't until there was a full break from this part, this flurry of work communication and tasks meetings that I noticed a difference. Even though my physical location had by and large not changed, I was home either way, the quality of my presence had. Even though my physical location hadn't changed, the quality of my presence had. Having space and time to be fully attentive and present to my partner to my kids in a way I hadn't been, highlighted how helpful and healing it can be. So what kind of changes did I notice? Many of them were subtle, but over time, their impact was meaningful. I noticed less tension in my responses to others. It was easier for me to be less reactive, short in my responses, more calm and curious with whatever was going on with my family members and what they were asking of me in the moment. I had more capacity to notice things, notice shifts in the demeanor amongst any of them. I had space to register something was going on and ask questions and express care that could help them feel seen and validated. There was room to relax together, to play, to enjoy things, like whether that's just like a card game or watching a favorite show or taking a run for ice cream or experiencing some unique, fun experiences together on one of our, our trips. The pursuit of joy together increased my sense of fondness for my loved ones, and I think it did the same for them with me. And as all of these things came online, <coughs> we seemed to have this bigger benefit of like, that's even a harder to pinpoint, but is like richer, I would say, of more emotional reserves for deeper, harder conversations when they needed to happen. So I would say Jason and I could delve into deeper emotional waters with compassion and care than I think we had in a long time and speak things we needed to be able to give voice to, but I think hadn't felt the relational room for navigating. And with my kids, I feel like I had more experiences of them opening up to me in meaningful ways 
which has at times felt impossible in these tween and teen years. So the whole experience highlighted for me that there are tasks for which multitasking is helpful and efficient, but tending relationships is not ultimately about efficiency, right? Tending relationships is not about efficiency. It's about bringing our awareness, our attention to another human being. And that's difficult to really do when our focus is being pulled in too many directions. I wonder if Martha might have been able to relax a bit more that day if she had given herself permission to slow down, turn her focus to Jesus as her sister had done. Perhaps they would have eventually all prepared the meal together. Perhaps they would have let some of the dishes go. Perhaps they would have connected meaningfully and then she would have excused herself to finish the meal but her attention and her energy in doing so could then be redirected to the purpose behind it. Ultimately, the gift of nurturing meaningful relationships. Now, whether or not you're a frequent multitasker, whether or not you work from home or struggle to balance work and relationships, I think all of us who live in our contemporary society are challenged in this area of attention. I think we all are, right? We live here in the Bay Area, in the Mecca of global technology, an industry that is actually built in large part these days on turning the scarce resource of a human's mental attention into a commodity. Am I wrong? Right? Our devices, the apps we use, the websites we visit, our social media platforms, our streaming services, all of them are built on increasing engagement, which is really commodifying our attention, keeping us focused as long as possible on their device or their app or their site, where they can target us with their advertisements or the ads that other companies have paid them to service us as our attention is focused on them. Now, I'm not a Luddite, okay? I'm not trying to say that these tools are all evil and we need to cut them out of our lives, right? We're on YouTube, hello! <laughs> but we do need to recognize the insidious way that they can capture our mental energy and hold on to it for as long as possible because, you know, they're actually designed to do that. And that's setting aside all the other distractions, often good and necessary ones we all need to manage, competing for our attention, our work, our school, our exercise, our laundry, and like Martha experienced, getting food on the freaking table. Of course, we can't all be just completely focused on the relationships in our lives. But I think there are some things all of us can be more intentional about to increase our attentiveness to one another, and return to some potentially neglected relationships. So as we end, I'm just gonna name a couple of things that I'm trying to maintain, even as I now have been back at the work of Haven here for the last several weeks. And the first is just to protect time. Protect time, that's the big one, to focus our attention on others. It feels like one of those, another one of those conventional pieces of wisdom that everyone says you should do and is harder to follow through with. I just named that. And that has been the case for me. 
Now, as I named earlier, this isn't something I've always understood the importance of or done very well. I think part of me in all that multitasking also even falsely believed that I wasn't, if I wasn't always available to all the people and all the needs in my life, things would fall apart. Haven would fail if I couldn't answer people's texts within the hour. I mean, I, I know that's ridiculous, but I feel like that's how I operated. Or my kids would feel neglected if I couldn't immediately respond to them. But being on call to everything all the time meant I was actually less present and available to anyone in any time, right? So for me, I have found protecting time means sometimes creating artificial boundaries where there aren't clear hard ones. So I don't go to an office. I don't have a clear nine to five schedule. I can't use that as a clean boundary for myself. But I can be mindful of when my attention is directed at what thing and when it's not. So when I came back to Haven after the sabbatical, I was concerned about the blurring of these lines taking over again. So I did something simple. I installed an app on my phone and um, and that's it's a time tracker. It's intended to be something you might use to track hours and bill people for how much you're doing on what project. I'm not actually using it for that. It's totally just for personal accountability. So I clock in when I have emails to answer or teachings to write or meetings to attend. And then when it's time to attend to my kids or my partner or do the grocery shopping, I clock out. And I'm just like, it's done. I'm not doing any of that again until I'm clocked back in on the app. Um, and I've started to rearrange my work habits to include like less evening meetings. I'm, I'm the nature of being a pastor means, of course, I'm meeting with people on the weekends and the evenings, but I'm trying to be more mindful of how often that's happening and make sure that I'm balancing, that there's also space for family time and one-on-one -on -one times regularly with my kids, with Jason. We have um, honored a weekly date night for a few years at least that has been another important piece of that um, and continues to be something we have to work to protect. Um, and the benefit of it is that that I have found of protecting some boundaries, of putting in some, some ways in place to protect the time has been that I've found it not only protects my time with my family, but I'm finding my time here is protected too. Does that make sense? My kids seem to respond better to the news that like mom can't be interrupted. She has a string of meetings coming up because they know when those are done, I will be there. Right? It works kind of both ways. This helps me be more attentive to the folks um, in that, that I, I want to be fully attentive to each of you as well. Now, all of you have different lives. Your habits are going to be different than mine. But I do invite you to consider what protecting time to focus your attention on important people in your life might look like for you. And that brings me finally to the last takeaway I'm trying to hold on to. And I'd invite you to consider as well. To honor the sacredness of meaningful human connection. Honor the sacredness of meaningful human connection. At the heart of the Christian tradition is the idea that the center of the universe is a network of loving relationships. God, within God's own self, is loving relationship. Our tradition has this set, has called this set of relationships things like the Trinity, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
some of us might find it more helpful just to speak of simple truth. God is love. There is love within. That is who God is. That what is when we talk about, use the word God or the divine, we're talking about loving relationship. So when we attend to loving relationships, when we focus on that one thing, as Jesus saw Mary doing, we have the capacity to experience something bigger than whatever the activity is we're doing. Perhaps you've had those moments, and maybe that is some of the spark of what you've retained, right? As you shared some of those relationships that have been meaningful to you. Where you've had those moments of true encounter with another person, where for a moment, time even seems to kind of stand still or pause or become something different. And you're in touch with something beyond, something precious, something holy. I think of a moment we had this summer, my family riding on a speedboat through crisp, cool Lake Tahoe waters. The sun was sparkling off the water, warming our shoulders. Jason and I were, I could see us just like, oh, relaxing as we took deep breaths of mountain air and listened to the laughter of our kids bumping against the waves below. And as I looked at each of them, I shared these rich moments of eye contact. It was like all of our petty annoyances had dropped away. The squabbles between the kids were silenced for the moment. There's just this sense that we all shared of feeling so grateful to be in that experience with one another, that there was like nowhere else we'd want to be. And if that isn't kin to what we talk of, when we speak of the holy, of the sacred, of beauty that is set apart from the rest of life, I don't know what is. I believe the divine was present in that moment. And I think that same presence is there for each of us as we connect with those we love. So may we each cultivate more room to notice, to pay attention, and to experience a liberative return to one another. And as we do, may we also experience the joy and freedom of returning to God among us. Amen.